of God to be turned on than in our own households, amen, and the power of God to come than in our own households, and we're excited for what he's going to do in your house today, and so Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 is where we're, is where we're going to kick this thing off, and church, don't forget, not next Sunday, but the next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We are 14 days away from Easter Sunday, amen, and we're going to have three services on Easter Sunday. We're going to have an 8 o'clock service, a 9.30 service, and an 11 o'clock service on Easter Sunday. Pick which one you're going to come serve at. Also pick which one you're going to attend and worship with your family at. And after every service, we're going to have in Classroom 5 the opportunity for you and your family to go in Classroom 5 and get an Easter family photo from TWBC that we want to give you a free website that you can go on and download that photo and you can have a family photo of your Easter service in 2017. And we're doing this for free for every family or every individual that comes in just because we love you. Because we want to bless you. And we know how important Easter Sunday is for a lot of families. And so we're looking for ways to pour back into you just to say, hey, we love you guys. Because y'all rock. Y'all are the greatest church in the world. Amen. And so we want to bless you on Easter Sunday. So come with your family. Bring your mom, your dad, your extended family, your, your nephews, your nieces. Bring them all and just take a big family photo together. And so you can have a memorable moment of how when the power of God came up on your life on Easter Sunday and not just transform you, but transform your whole family. And so that is uh, not next Sunday, but the next Sunday when Easter Sunday is happening. So come in and celebrate it with us. When you found Matthew chapter 12, say, I'm there. Say, let's do this. Say, I'm going to reach my home. Y'all, that didn't sound very confident. I'm there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to reach my home. Right? Right? No, say, I'm going to reach my home with the power of God. And the Bible says there, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and Jesus healed him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I just can't get past that point. I celebrate it every time I read it. And Jesus healed him, and it's so awesome, so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And I love this part, knowing their thoughts, <laughs> Jesus said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no, no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Say, Amen. Amen. I receive it. All of his kingdom. And so we're excited about Reaching Home is the title of this morning's message. Reaching Home. We want to raise eternal and community hope through the way your family structure looks, through the way your household looks. I believe if we're going to have an influence on this 20-mile radius and change the culture of this 20-mile radius, it's not going to be by powerful messages on Sunday morning. It's going to be by family dynamics Monday through Friday and then on Saturday at the ball field and then Sunday in the church house. Amen. It's going to be changing because... The Family structure is changing. It's going to be changing not just because the power of God moves upon you, but it moves upon you in such a way that you're raising up in your household not just police officers and firefighters, but you're raising up apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. So when they're an attorney out in the out in the courthouse, they're evangelizing as well. When they're when they're in a, the fireman out in a crisis, they got an apostolic anointing and they can see what God is calling them to do throughout the whole situation. I believe we've sold our generation short. Because we said you either have to be this in the, in the civil work or you have to be this in the ministry and not understanding that they're always supposed to crisscross. 
They're always supposed to crisscross. Teachers, you are the greatest evangelists that there are. You come in contact with millions of students throughout the years of your life. You're the greatest evangelist that we have. Amen. So you're not just gifted to teach, you're a great evangelist. And so I believe that we, we've sold our generation short because we either said, if you grow up, when you grow up, I want you to aspire to be something great. But if God calls you to the ministry, let's pray about it. See, why don't we celebrate people going into the ministry like we do them getting a college scholarship for a football program? celebrate people going into the ministry and saying, yes, they're going to go change the world for the kingdom of God, rather than saying, well, you know, they don't make a lot of money. Oh, but the eternal benefits are out of this world. Right? So I think we've messed some things up in the way we've raised our kids. My wife told me this one time, and it's the most profound statement that she's ever made to me. And she said, we're going to raise our kids to be all that God has called them to be. And if he calls them into the secular world to be a police officer or fighter fighter, then they'll do it with the anointing of God on it. See, it wasn't if he calls them into the ministry, if it's he tells them to go work in the secular world, because we already know they're called into the ministry. All your kids are called into the ministry. Whether they do it in the church house or whether they do it in the secular world, it doesn't matter, but they're all called to the ministry to do what God's called them to do. So if we're going to reach our community, it's going to be because we, we raise eternal and community hope in the family. And in the family, parents, if your kids do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your goal for 2017 doesn't need to be your coworker; It needs to be your kids. Come on. Don't let our children's worker lead your kids to Jesus. And I'm not saying nothing bad about the kids department, but I so want me and my wife to lead our kids to Jesus. I want us to do it. I want us to pour into their lives. I want us to be the ones who raise them in the Lord. I want us to do that to such a high level that that is our goal this year. We're praying fervently for both of our sons to come to know Jesus Christ this year. So your goal for 2017 is who are you going to lead to the Lord Jesus Christ? And if there's households, members in your household that aren't saved, I believe that needs to become your first goal and first priority. And the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, and we will boast and celebrate only in regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even you. Your first area of influence is not the schoolhouse. It's not the church house. It's your house. And when God has put you in that house as husband and wife, he gave you an area of influence to raise up world changers. And your area of influence first is your house, and then it's the rest of the world, this 20-mile radius that he's given us. And so as we do that, we're going to recognize our first area of influence. So then we can go ignite nations, we can impact a four-state area, and we will change the culture of what God is going to do right here in the Northeast Texas area, this 20-mile radius. So where do we start with such a vision? We start with those who God has given to us, the ones he's given to us, and that's our household. That's what he's blessed us with. Those are the ones who are under your influence the most. Amen. Those are the ones who see the real you. Amen. Yeah. Right? My kids see the, 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 the completely unexposed me, all that I am, good, bad, ugly, and otherwise, every single day. Because when I come home, it's like, whew. So your kids see all of you. you. You are the biggest influence in their life. And you've never seen your kid do something, and you look at it, it's like, dang, he acted just like his mama right? No, sorry. He acted just like his daddy, right? 
And I see tendencies in my kid that I know they're under my influence because they do things like I do, sometimes great. Sometimes I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, I just pray crop failure over that in Jesus' name. And and I don't want to see that in his life anymore. Amen. Like my son, when he plays Xbox, has a little bit of a temper, and he gets that from his daddy. Amen. I did the same thing when I was his age. You know, he loses a game, and he gets mad, and he wants to throw the remote control, and he did it. And I remember I did it, right, mom and dad, and we did it. And I did a lot more than throw the remote control. I'd throw a tantrum. I'd hit the ground, and I'd just be upset. So you're influencing your kids whether you realize it or not, and you are the greatest influencer in their life, so much so that Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, or hear, O TWBC, amen, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, all that you have. So you thought Jesus said it first. No, Jesus got it out of Deuteronomy, okay? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. Now listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fondlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. (laughs) That's the kind of influence you're supposed to have on your kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to talk about it when you wake up in the morning. You're to talk about it when you go to bed at night. You're to talk about it when you drive to school. You're to talk about it when you, when, 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 when you put it on your hands. You're to talk about it as a fondly between your eyes. It's something that you always see and focus on. You shall write them even on the doorpost of your house and even on your gates. Your influence on your kids should be so great that they see it everywhere you go. Now, how are we going to accomplish this with our kids? Some of you are saying, I've already lost too much time. And listen, I I got this word this morning and God said this, I will redeem the time that parents think they have lost through their bad decisions and they're running from me. If they'll commit their heart fully to me, I'll redeem those years and I'll restore those years that they feel are lost and eaten by the locusts. I'll redeem it and I'll restore it. And listen, let God begin to do in your kids what you never could. Let God begin to do in your kid's life what you never could. See, you don't have to be perfect to raise a family, but you do have to be free. You don't have to be perfect to raise a family. Me and my wife are far from perfect in our personal lives and the way we raise our family, but we're also free. We're free from the guilt that when we mess up, we don't let it hold us back. How do I tell my kids not to have sex before marriage when they're a product of sex before marriage? You don't counsel them by your experience. You counsel them by the word of God. And you use your experience as a lesson of what to do or what not to do. How do I tell my kids to never drink when all I did when I was their age was drink? You don't counsel them by your experience. If you counsel them by your experience, you're going to lead them into your experience. You counsel them by the word of God. You raise them by the word of God. I love seeing families in that church that, that, that they lived one way several years ago, but now they're raising godly kids and godly families. They're plugged into the church. They're actively involved. I love seeing that because it shows God can restore anything no matter how bad your past is. You don't have to be perfect to raise a family, but you got to be free. You've got to be set free from your past. 
And parents, if you're on a guilt trip raising your kids because I can't tell them not to do what I surely did, you're listening to the wrong voice. You don't got to be perfect to raise a family. You've got to be free, though. You've got to be free from your past. You've got to be free from what you did in high school. You've got to be free from those past relationships and quit hanging them on and quit dragging them into your current relationship. You've got to be free. You've got to be free from the past lenses of your hurts. You've got to be set free from the hurts that you've experienced in this life. You've got to be free from that hurt of divorce. How do I kid to raise my kids to say, hey, I want you to marry and stay married to that one person forever and all the days of your life when you've gone through three and four divorces? You don't counsel them through your hurt or from your hurt. You counsel them from the word of God and you use your life and say, I don't want you going through the hurt that I've done. So I'm going to tell you about my hurt so that you'll follow the word of God and not walk through my hurt. You've got to be set free from your past. You've got to be set free from your hurts. You've got to be set free from your pains. And you've got to be set free from the mistakes that your parents made. Come on. You've got to be set free from the mistakes that your parents made. Well, my mama loves so-and-so more than she loved me. I'm sorry. Nothing I can do about it. Be set free from it. I'm not telling you it was right, and I'm not telling you your parents were perfect because they weren't. But if you live and raise your kids according to the hurts that your parents put on you, you're not going to raise them free. In fact, you're going to raise them in double the bondage that you are in. And you're actually starting something that's going to go from generation to generation to generation to generation. And you need to be the one to stand strong and break that junk off. You need to be the one to stand strong and say, I'm going to change what's going on in my family life. My parents, I'll never forget what they told us one time when we were, got to a certain age. My mom, I remember saying it so distinctly. She says, your dad and I wished with all we have, we would have never started smoking. And so we do not want you to fall into the same bondage we fell into. They weren't perfect, but they were free. Free enough to tell us, don't do what we did. They weren't ashamed about it either. Some of you, I can't tell them, I'm so ashamed. You better get shame off your life. Because that's the only thing the enemy is using to hold you from back from raising your kids godly. I'm not saying tell your kids it's right. I'm saying tell them you messed up and you did wrong and now you, you may still be stuck in it, but don't do what I did. You live freer than I'm living. You live in a place where we can walk out and do the things of God for our life. Many times we have more faith in our past failures than in the power of God for our future. We have more faith in our past failures than the power of God for our future. What do I mean by that? Oh, I messed up and, and surely God, was, uh, he, how can he make something good out of ha- happen out of this? We got more faith in how we messed up than what God can do with our future even though we messed up. And if you let the future of your life be hindered by your past mistakes, you got greater faith in your mistakes than you got in the God of the universe. No wonder Jesus said it only takes a mustard seed. And it's not so that you need such great faith, it's you need properly focused faith. And if we got more faith in our past experiences than we do in God for our future, we're always looking back. And the Bible says if they would have turned back, they would have went to the place from which they came. Many of you keep going through the same trials over and over because you're so busy looking at your trial, you're just repeating it. 
just with a different addiction, a different person, a different thing, a different career, a different life, whatever. We got more faith in our past experiences than we do in, our, in God for our future. We must begin to trust God with the future that says God can do anything and God wants to do it through me. And so I've got to be set free from my past. I've got to be set free from my hurts. I've got to set, be set free from those things that cause me pain. I've got to set, be set free from the way I was raised. I've got to be set free. And you've got to learn to forgive people in your life. Man, I can't tell you how many parents, they don't forgive a family member that, that did something and it hurt them, and it doesn't just cause a rift, it causes a rift in the whole family just because uh, what could have been healed by a simple act of forgiveness in the beginning. And with that simple act of forgiveness, God could do amazing things. But because the simple act wasn't taken, the rift gets bigger and farther and spread wider and farther and farther. Man, forgive quickly in your life. Forgive and watch what God can begin to do. So many times we have more faith in our past failures than in the power of God for our future. But to change that, you have to step out, have faith, and you've got to live in freedom. You've got to live there. And you can't go back. You can't keep looking back. You're going to have to wake up every day and realize God has something new for your life. And so Jesus told us how to do this. He said, follow me. And when he said it, follow me means follow me literally. Literally follow me. We've read this as a figurative statement many times. And, and, and our greatest mission field, it's our home. But I, the question I have is are we making disciples or are we making converts? Jesus said follow me over 20 times in the four gospels. And it was a literal term, not a figurative term. It was a literal term. He went up to Peter, Simon at the time and said, Simon, put your nets down and follow me. It was a literal statement. It wasn't a, a, a figurative one where it's just, oh, I got to acknowledge Jesus. No, he literally said, leave your nets, follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. Today, when we read the Bible, for some reason, as Americans, we read it so figuratively when most of it is actually literal. Yeah. Yeah. Heal the sick and raise the dead is a literal statement, not a figurative one. And we found all ways to justify why we're not healing the sick and raising the dead. It wasn't a figurative statement. It was a literal statement. And he mentions it over 20 times throughout the four Gospels. It is follow me, not acknowledge me. So much so that there's a, a, a great way to phrase it. It's called getting covered in the dust of the rabbi. Where you follow behind, they would follow behind their rabbi, the disciples would follow behind Jesus so close that the dust from when he walked would cover them as they walked down the street. That's how close they were to follow behind the rabbi. And it was called getting covered in the dust of the rabbi because they wanted to be that close. Now, the Bible says this, a student is not greater than his master. But listen, the, the word student there is a poor translation of what it should be. The term actually is, some versions say, a disciple is not greater than his master. But in that, we in the Western culture think astute as a student, and a student wants to know what his teacher knows. A disciple wants to be who his rabbi is. A student wants to know what his teacher knows. That's good. There's nothing wrong with one of that. But that's a poor translation because it's not just knowing what Jesus knew. 
A true disciple wants to do what Jesus did and not just do what he did, but be who Jesus is. I'm going to get into that deeper here in just a second, but we got to get this premise down because when he said, follow me, literally, he literally was saying, you become me and do what I'm doing so much, he said in John 14, and even greater things you'll do than I did because I'm going to the Father on your behalf, but you got to follow me. And it's got to be literally following me. And you got to walk so close with me and you got to do what I do and say what I say and watch what I watch and, and think how I think. Get into the presence of God how I get into the presence of God. And so the truth is throughout this process, we are making disciples. But what do they look like? You are making disciples in your house, but what do they look like? Ooh, he's got a temper like his daddy. You're making a disciple. Ooh, she's unorganized like her mama. You're making a disciple. See, you're making disciples no matter what. It's just what are you making? Ooh, his rebellious streak, he comes from his granddad, right? You're making disciples, but what are you making them as? Or you can come to this verse, 1 Timothy 1.5, I remind you of the sincere faith, a faith that at first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, Timothy, I am sure it dwells in you as well. Come on now. That's three generations of faith. Paul says, Timothy, I saw it in your grandmother. I see the same faith in your mama, and now I see it in you. So I'm going to say this. Single mamas get ready because Paul said, I see it in your grandmother. I see it in your mama, and she was able to raise a godly son called Timothy, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus, over 500,000 people in that city. Come on now. So single mamas in the house, don't give up. Because let the same faith that's in you, the same faith that, faith that gets you up on Sunday mornings and drags your kids to church, and you're saying, if God would just give me a man, maybe God's wanting your faith to be instilled in your son, not his faith instilled in your son. Because God bringing you some man, he may make something out of your kid that you never wanted. So don't be so quick to say, if God would just give me a man, a man isn't the answer to your problems. And I know we got a bunch of single dads, too, so just flip the, flip the script on it. Men, a woman ain't the answer to your problems. Yeah. If I just had somebody. No, you don't just want somebody. You want the right somebody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Man, the, 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 me and Sherry were talking the other day, and, and we've, we've, it's our 15-year anniversary here in a couple months. Happy anniversary, Matt and Nicole, too. It's the same day, so I don't, if I forget, here you go. 15 for them, too. But we've been together almost 18 years. And as we're thinking about this, we're looking at, and I think of going through the ministry and everything God's bringing us through in the ministry, and the longer I'm in ministry with her, I'm glad God didn't just bring me somebody, he brought me the right somebody, that she didn't always say what I wanted her to say, she told me what I needed to hear. Honey, just plug your ears, I'm bragging on you, I don't want you to (laughs) tell me. There were times when I was ready to quit. She said, you ain't quitting. We've done sacrifice too much. You ain't quitting. You're not stepping away. You're not going to do something else. You'd be miserable if you did anything else. I've seen it from people's experiences. They who step away from the ministry when they know they're called. You're not stepping away. I didn't just get somebody. I got the right somebody. So all you single folks out there that are raising kids, don't just pray for somebody. Pray for the right somebody and wait till you find that right somebody. Easy for you to say you're married. You got your right somebody. 
On the other side of that right somebody is a whole other set of issues. You got to learn how to live together, work together, be in ministry together, do it all together. You're going to have to relearn your whole life when that right somebody shows up. So you're making disciples no matter what. But how are you making them becomes the question. And so Jesus said, follow me literally. And so we should want to not just know what Jesus knew, but we should want to be who Jesus is. And so as we talk about being our, our identity, as we become who Jesus is, we as the, now, now you got to hear me on this and don't cut me off because I'm going to talk about identity and personality here in just a second. But I've got to talk about identity first because the Bible says this about the disciples in Acts 4.13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that what they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus because of what they were doing. So in following him literally, they began to do the things that Jesus did. This is right after they healed the person at the gate called Beautiful. And so they began to do the things that Jesus did. So the disciples lost their identity as fishermen, gained the identity as a disciple or follower of Christ. Amen. And so a lot of us in this church, we need to lose our identity and be identified with Jesus Christ. So much so, here's how big we are on identity, especially in Texas, man. Only stay in all of the United States. That when somebody says, what country are you from? Man, I'm from Texas. I do it, I'm the worst. I go all around the world. Where are you from? I'm from Texas. You don't even gotta say America. You say Texas, everybody knows what Texas is. We're identified as Texans. Everything's bigger in Texas. You know what I'm talking about? So we're identified by Texans. But what if our Texan and we lost that identity? I think somebody's wanting to stone me right now. (laughs) And we got identified as followers of Christ because we had a kingdom movement beginning to happen. And so the disciples had to lose their identity and become re-identified. And so now they're identified with, with, with Jesus Christ. And I see a lot of parents at the ball field that do this. And, and if you do it, it's great. Have fun with it. But just check yourself on it. You put on the back of your T-shirt, so-and-so's mama or so-and-so's daddy. Now, that's fun. That's great. I'm glad you support your kids. Take them to the ball field. The spiritual question I have with this is... Are you raising kids so good that they're identified with you? Or have you so lost your identity in your kids that you're only known as so-and-so's mama or so-and-so's daddy? If that's the case, then we're identified by our children, not our children being identified by godly parents. And now, listen, it's all fun when you say, hey, I'm so-and-so's mom or I'm so-and-so's daddy, and you really realize you've lost your identity when one of your little son's friends comes up and says, hey, that's Caleb's daddy. That's Aaron's daddy. They don't know me. They know me as their daddy. And that's good for kids to identify me because of who Caleb and Aaron are. That's great. But if adults start identifying you because of your kids, I don't know them, but that's so-and-so's mama. You've lost your identity and you're now identified by the one you're supposed to be making a disciple of. Instead, they're making a disciple of you instead of you making a disciple of them. Some of y'all really don't like me right now. 
Y'all are going to have a garage sale. I'm going to go sell a bunch of shirts from the past five years at the ball field. And like I said, it's fun. Enjoy it. Enjoy your kids growing up and playing sports. And even put that on your shirt. I don't care what you put on your shirt. It's the spirit of the matter. Are you making a disciple of your kids to follow them, make them walk in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you so wrapped up in your kid's life that they're making a disciple of you and you're no longer known as a parent, you're known as their chauffeur? We're making disciples. We just got to figure out which way we're making them. And a lot of parents do this. We want to be cool dads and super moms, and we give up everything for our child. We give it all up. The problem is I don't find that principle in the Bible. I don't see that in the Bible at all. Cool moms or cool dads and super moms give up everything for their kids. But godly dads and spiritual moms become everything for their kids. See, I want to live in such a way that my kids know how to dream. Not that they dread getting married and having kids because then I got to give up everything. I can't do nothing. No, you, when you got kids, you need to start becoming everything because you got a little follower now. You need to become that man of God. You need to become that person who dreams again. You need to become that person who's going to be all that God called them to be. You need to begin to walk by faith and not by sight. So your kids know, I got to walk by faith and not by sight. Even when it's not easy to do what's right, daddy still did what's right. Mama still did what's right. And so I'm going to have to do what's right. You don't give up everything for your kids. You become everything for your kids. You become who they have to, who you have to become so they have a godly influence to follow because they're following you. They're following you in every aspect of your life. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says this, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable or without repentance. God's not going to take them away. It's not your job to give up everything, including yourself, for your child. It's your job to become all that God has called you to become in that gifting and in that calling. It's your job to become it. If there's ever a time for a believer to start living to be all that God's called them to be, it's when they have kids, not, not, not at any other time. You've got to begin to live in such a life that your children live in that such a life. But if you give up everything and you quit dreaming, your kids will never know how to dream. And we've raised a generation of parents that give up everything for their kids. And their kids don't know how to dream, their kids only know how to demand. We need to teach our kids how to dream again, not demand. Teach our kids how to follow after God, not just say what they are entitled to. What they're entitled to is you as a parent living out the fullness of God in your life. That's what they're entitled to. Don't sell them short on that. Don't sell them short on who you're called to become, and I want you to strive to get there. Now, as you do this, many of us, if we give up everything, we automatically instill a spirit of defeat in our child without even knowing it. We give up on who God made us to be with his dreams and his desires and who he called us to be for their sake. But all we've done is show them to give up later in life because something will come in that's more important than God's dreams and desires for you. What you don't realize is God put a dream and a desire in your your heart with your kid in mind. 
I need Joel to do this dream and desire in his heart because the plans I have for his sons are based upon him walking by faith and accomplishing the dreams that he has. So when you sell your life short and give up, you're automatically cutting the, the dream of your kid off. Does that make sense? And so we cannot just cut off our dreams and quit following them. Now, now I want to talk to you about identity. We must lose our identity and become identified with Christ. But personality is a completely different thing. Personalities, these are the qualities that make you unique, special, and one of a kind. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life I live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, as it says, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul lost his identity, but Paul never lost his personality. Right? Paul's got a specific personality. Hey, I'm, I'm just telling you. Straight to the point, bottom line. And he says, I write to you very bold in my letters, so when I come to see you in person, I can be gentle and loving. I mean, he tells you who he is. He didn't lose his personality, but even though he lost his identity. God wants you to be unique, special, one of a kind. He made you with personality, and he made you the way you are for this perfect reason. So your personality can shine because that's who you are, but your identity is found in him. Your identity is in Christ. So when Joel T. Meyer got in these baptismal waters and I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live, I came up with no identity except his identity. But I didn't lose my personality. Now, you have never seen two more opposite people than me and my brother. You've never seen four more opposite people than my other brother and my sister. You get us all in a room and it's not just two opposite people. It's north, south, east, and west, buddy. I mean, it's all across the map. I mean, it's... None of us lost our personalities, but we all lost our identity and we're all serving Christ. And so in this, do not lose your personality when you're losing your identity. A person who is confident in their identity in Christ is usually bold in their personality for Christ. See, if you're confident in your identity in Christ, you'll be bold in your personality for Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're a quiet personality or a Joel T. Meyer crazy loud personality. In that, if you're confident in your identity, you're free to love and live your personality. And so as a parent in this room, how are you living? How are you reaching your home? Because you're reaching your home. Because you're raising a disciple. Somebody's following you. As they're following you, who are they becoming? Are they becoming like you? Or are they becoming like him? Are they becoming identified with you? Or are you making sure they're identified with him? In their personality, let them be who they are personally, personality-wise. But make sure their identity is not found in what they can do or who their last name is. Their identity is found in Christ and in Christ alone. There's such a profound difference in identity and personality. If we don't make sure these are corrected, we're not going to be able to raise the generation we're wanting to raise. To raise, as we begin to raise a generation that has an identity, it's going to be a generation that has a voice and a generation that's free. So this morning, in this place, some of you as parents, your grandparents in the room now, 
and your kids are out of the house. You're saying, wow, that's a great message. I wish I would have heard that 30 years ago when I had kids. There's a whole generation of fatherlessness going on that need grandparents to be people that people can look to. There's a whole generation of abandonment going on that your days of fatherhood and motherhood are not over yet unless you say they're over. Because there's a whole generation. Damon's got 200 of them in his youth room every Wednesday night that need father figures. So much so we have a fifth grade teacher in the house that called our, uh, our, our, our new pastor, Derek Dillon, and said, can you just come eat lunch with three boys at my school that don't have a father figure in their life at all? Your days of fathering and mothering aren't over unless you say they're over. Because there's a whole generation of people who need a touch from the father. They need to lose their identity, find a new one in Christ, but express their personality, but do it in a way that will exemplify the father. I'd like to ask everybody to stand this morning. The worship team to come, the ministers to come.